it's actually infuriating. Yeah. Right. But why are they doing this? Okay. Uh, honestly, um, they're doing it to protect the dollar. Mm-hmm. Right. So because of what we just talked about, mm-hmm. they need it. They need that inflation to stay down enough that it doesn't look like it's inflate, like it's hyperinflating. Yeah. At least but the they, perception of inflation, right? The yeah. perception. Yeah. But they need it to be high enough to inflate away the old debt. Mm-hmm. And that's where we're at right now. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the game that they're playing yeah. and they all know it. Yeah. It's not, this is not any, the, the, the you know, we, you and I read these things on, on Twitter, the, you know, the fed and the treasury, they're idiots. They're not idiots. They know what's going on. Right. It's just, they have to assume we're all idiots. It's like a controlled demolition or something. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's like, we're just, we're, well, it's kind of like, we're just, we know we have this incurable disease, this incurable debt disease. Yeah. And we're going to draw it out for as long as we can. Right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the What Is Money Show. I am thrilled to have you here joining me on my mission to help shine light on the corruption of money. Now, if this is your first time listening to the What Is Money Show, I strongly recommend that you go back to episodes one through nine first, which lays a lot of the groundwork for many of the concepts that we explore on the show. These first nine episodes are my series with Michael Saylor and thousands of people have told me that this is the best podcast series they've ever heard hands down, and that it was instrumental to their understanding of money and Bitcoin. So if you're looking to start a deep dive into the nature of money, I don't think there's any place better that you can start other than episode one of this show. Now, a little bit about this show and how it makes money. The What Is Money show is 100% sponsor based. So all of our revenues are derived from direct sponsorships. And I strive to be very selective about the sponsors that I work with, specifically only using sponsors that I use personally, and also choosing sponsors that have values which are well aligned to the values expressed on this show, such as freedom, education, self-sovereignty, etc. So what I'm gonna do now is a few ad reads right at the top of the show, and then I'll do a few more ad reads in the middle. And I hope you'll take the time to listen to them, as again, these are hand-selected sponsors, and I think you'll like what they have to offer. Today's podcast is brought to you by In Wolf's Clothing. Wolf is the world's first startup accelerator program focused exclusively on the Bitcoin Lightning Network. Four times per year, Wolf brings teams from around the world to New York City to work with like-minded entrepreneurs, pushing the boundaries of what is possible with Bitcoin and Lightning. The program is designed to help early-stage companies achieve product market fit, develop their brand, secure early-stage funding, and grow businesses that help fuel the global adoption of Bitcoin. So go to Wolf nyc.com today to apply for the program or learn more again that is wolf nyc.com james lavish welcome to the what is money show i'm happy to be here robert uh, but, uh, it's been a long time coming to sit down with you yeah man it's great to have you here uh this is an extra special edition because we're here in jackson hole for the bitcoin ski summit man in a gigantic luxurious cabin sitting next to a fire <laughs> Having a real life fireside chat. If this is a cabin, I don't know what I live in. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what you call this, like a chalet. A chalet. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty damn nice. It's nice. 
Quick introduction for you. You are the managing partner of the Bitcoin Opportunity Fund, and you are the author of the very popular The Informationist newsletter, which I think is just on Substack. Right? It's on Substack. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, let's start with that. Like, just quick intro about you, who you are, your professional background, and your path into Bitcoin. Yeah. Um, so some of your listeners may know this, but uh, I've been an institutional investor for many years, more than I want to admit, but nearing 30. And so uh, I started down on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange, trading something called ADR arbitrage, where you're you're buying and selling foreign securities on the New York Stock Exchange. And so you translate those with a basket and currency and stamp tax, and you, there's an arbitrage there. Huh. That was, Robert, that was before we had spreadsheets. <laughs> so it was all, no, it was great because it was all by hand. Whoever could oh. do it fastest got the trade. So oh, that's where okay. we started. So um, I was there in New York for a number of years. And then I ended up going to, because I was doing arbitrage, I ended up uh, getting picked up by hedge fund within Travelers Group and then just stayed in hedge funds and private equity mm. ever since. And so I've been doing that a long time. But um, yeah, how did I get to Bitcoin? Well, as an institutional investor, Back in 2018, I had a little bit of extra like risk capital, personal capital and discretionary that I want to put to work. And I want to go out on the risk curve a little bit. I want to move out and yeah. to do something a little bit uh, on the fringe. And so I kept hearing about this Bitcoin thing. And you know, when you're in, you're in that world, you pretty much ignore it because it it's, you have to go to a parking lot with a suitcase of money and what, you know, cause once Mt. Gox was, once that blew up, there was just a lot of negativity around it, drug money, you know, whatever. So, um, but 2018, it started getting some real traction. It had already run to 20,000. It came all the way back in about $3,500. I thought there's definitely something here. This is not, there's something here. So I went and what you do when you're in institutional investor, you and go talk to the so-called experts. Then, you know, these are the technology analysts uh, and portfolio managers from um, from Wall Street, the, whether it's Citigroup or JP Morgan or in my own firm, every single person I talked to, every single one of them, bar none, warned me off, told me there's no inherent value. It's going to zero because it's a Ponzi scheme. Avoid it at all costs. All Wall Street guys saying this? All Wall Street guys. Yeah. yeah. So I missed it. <laughs> I missed it in 2018. Circle back to uh, 2020. We're in lockdown. I'm leaving my firm and my son, and he knows that I'm that I'm I'm looking to do something. Not sure what to do, and so he said, "Hey, Dad, I think um I think you ought to give this this uh, digital asset world another another look, and you know I think you ought to you ought to dig in there because there there's definitely investment opportunity, and so you know uh, he's a smart kid, and I thought. Yeah, I think I, I think I really do need to start learning these protocols. And so I did what a normal institutional investor turned digital investor would do, and I went and bought Ethereum and Solana and Cardano, and and it took me about I think I want to say it took me about four or five weeks, Robert, of of listening to podcasts, listening to yours, watching Michael Saylor, um, listening to uh, Jeff Booth, and then it it clicked and. Mm. I realized I've got to get all my money out of these other untrustworthy protocols and into Bitcoin. And so I went all in on Bitcoin for that allocation. And uh, 
and I've been here ever since. And so, yeah. That's awesome. Well, good thing you learned fast, man. It takes a lot of us a lot longer and a lot more pain to get out of the shit coins and into Bitcoin. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> well, it wasn't exactly an awesome time to own them, right? right. So it wasn't, I, was, I wasn't making 100x returns yeah. on them. So yeah, it was pretty easy. I was just focused on the underlying value and whether I could trust the protocols. That's a big thing for me, you know, yeah. just being able to trust it. Yeah. And I never could, I, I just never felt like I could trust anything else. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's a good instinct because... I mean, I think the deep revelation is only Bitcoin is decentralized. All, right, all this talk about decentralized protocols, decentralized finance, et cetera, it's bullshit, right? It's like, bullshit. We're seeing it right now. The And I haven't looked into this, but I've just seen the Twitter headlines, the the bankless guys that pump all these DeFi shitcoin everything. Mm-hmm. They're now getting, they've received a Wells notice, I think, from the SEC. So it's kind of ironic that the the decentralized finance guys are now getting shut down by a centralized it's, register. Yeah, it's, there's there we need some regulation in in this yeah. area. There's no doubt about it. But, yeah, yeah. I mean, and then when when you're when you're an investor and you've been you, you look for assets to um, to protect your capital in, mm-hmm. and so and and Bitcoin was like I just kept hearing digital gold, digital gold. You know, twenty one million only twenty one million will ever be made. And, um, and then once I read the white paper and understood, okay, I understand now how this works and how, um, and how that actually is limited by the decentralized nature, the truly decentralized nature of the, of the Mm -hmm. protocol. Then I, I got comfort pretty quickly. What I didn't know though, Robert was, where was it going? Like, why didn't it matter? Mm -hmm. Was it just going to be digital gold? Mm -hmm. Was it really going to be adopted and what could be, what could be done with it? And so the, you know, that, that getting me over that goal line was a good friend of ours. Now, um, I didn't know him at the time was, uh, was Jeff Booth. He was having a, he was having a conversation with somebody and on on a podcast and I saw, I I was watching this and I I would, I was supposed to be helping my wife make dinner. Right. Mm -hmm. So I was supposed to be in the kitchen. She's like, what are you doing? And I'm in the office and, um, I've got my laptop and I'm about 20 minutes or 25 minutes into this um, podcast, and I'm listening to Jeff talk about the inflationary pressures coming from the Fed and from central banks versus the deflationary nature of advancement in technology and how they'll eventually they'll eventually clash. Yeah. And so, and that and that moment, it was like, I get it. Hmm. Okay. Uh, now I see it. That just brought it all together for me. So yeah. I, I brought my wife in. I was, I was like, you've got to see this. We sat on the edge of uh, of the bed and watched the entire interview, uh, an hour of it, while, you know, whatever was burning on the stove. <laughs> and uh, and at the end of it, she looked up at me and she goes, do we own enough? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Bitcoin's the answer. Do you know which episode that was with John? I can't remember. It was... Uh, I can't remember. Uh, truly, I can't. Yeah, it, that his thesis there is truly mind blowing, right? It's it's not it's not possible to try to keep increasing human productivity under a central banking paradigm because that they they're literally going in opposite directions. So the thing rips exactly. itself apart. Exactly, um, and, and we're seeing it in Japan right now. Yeah, you know, they need inflation. Why do they need inflation? Because they have two hundred and fifty percent debt to GDP. Mm-hmm. Now it's different than the United States. You know, we've been over this. You've yeah. talked to Lynn about it. I think, uh, you know, 
before it they're they're a net exporter they have a different demographic so yeah. there's there's different dynamics at play versus the united states but how are they going to overcome all that debt right they well inflation they need inflation yeah so um they need to inflate their gdp and so they're they're trying to drive inflation through keeping their interest rates super low artificially low right so so that i mean that's a good way to look at inflation i think is this form of implicit default basically right that's right it's just like a daily default yeah yeah every single day yeah you're, you know your dollar is worth less than it was the day before period and that's the taxpayer picking up the bill for government negligence or yeah i mean so think about it you've got we we know we operate in a deficit we've talked about this before um we we operate in a deficit and perpetually and there's no way to get out of that deficit why well i mean if you look at numbers and where we are today the con the congressional budget office puts out data periodically they had a report last may they just came out with a report a, report a, a few weeks ago and it updates where they see the the treasury and the balance sheet and the income statement Mm -hmm. well, we both know, like you just said, we, the treasury doesn't really make any income. Right. They collect ours mm -hmm. through taxes. It's right. tax revenue. That's it. But in this report, which is super rosy, I mean, it is optimistic mm -hmm. and, uh, and it's even a little bit old. Well, they project the, uh, the treasury to, they're, they're going to take in about $4.8 trillion in taxes this year, tax mm -hmm. revenue, tax collection. And, uh, but you have basically you have three main items in in that that make up uh, the 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 things that you have to spend money on the mm -hmm. the expenses of the United States government right mm -hmm. three main items and then you've got your revenue All right, you got four point eight trillion dollars of revenue well your your entitlements are three point eight trillion dollars okay so that's Social Security Medicaid mm -hmm. Medicare and some other programs adds up to three point eight trillion dollars a year mm -hmm. okay you have your dis defense spending. Well, um, but first those entitlements, so those are signed into legislation. They right. have to be paid, right? right? That's mandatory expense. Right. Then you've got your long-term defense contracts and those have to be paid. You can't default on um, payments with Boeing or Lockheed. You have to be paying those. Right. So, um, and that's about, they are estimating $700 billion this year okay. in 2023, which we know is probably pretty low, especially since they're stuffing expenses for ukraine and other places probably right we just don't know exactly what those are right so uh so then you're you're now at 4.5 trillion right so, yeah. so you've got 300 trillion 300 billion dollars left for your interest expense however they're expecting interest expense to be at 800 billion dollars right? right and i think i actually transpose those numbers defense they're expecting to be 700 and uh, to be 800 and uh interest is going to be 700. Mm -hmm. But the point is you're now at 5.3 trillion dollars of expenses right on 4.8 trillion dollars of revenue. So we're 500 billion dollars in the hole. Right. Well, how do, what do you do? You have three choices. You can have austerity, you which is cutting back programs, cutting back spending. Yeah. It's political suicide. Yeah. Neither neither party wants to do that, but they want to try to push the other party to do it. Sure. Right. Sure. Which we're seeing right now, yeah. the whole debt crisis, the, the debt ceiling crisis. So you can do that. You can raise taxes. Mm -hmm. You know, taxes are pretty high already. Um, and when you do raise taxes, eventually it just slows productivity and it winds up having the same effect. It, right. doesn't, it doesn't help. Yeah. Um, or the third thing you can do is just issue more debt. 
Simple as that. Just mm-hmm. issue more debt. So we, what we do is as this debt matures, we issue more debt to pay off the principal yes. of the people who own that debt, right? So, but the problem is we're operating in this perpetual mm-hmm. deficit. So when you issue more debt and you're paying off that old debt, then that old debt was issued at, at very low interest rates, anywhere from uh, just a, a few basis points up to uh, maybe one, one and a half percent, one and three quarters percent, right? So this old debt that we're, that we're retiring that matures is now being replaced with debt that's about anywhere from three and a half to 5% mm-hmm. yield. So you see the problem, yeah. right? right? So mathematically, we have hundreds of billions of dollars more in expenses every year for new interest that we weren't paying last year. So the interest payments are going higher. Mm-hmm. More debt at higher interest rates equals this is what we call the debt spiral, right? Because you can't get out of it. You have to keep issuing more debt, issuing more debt, issuing more debt at higher interest rates, which just, it, this is right. the debt spiral. That's it. And you, we will never get out of this. Um, and, and to be clear, the 500 billion that we're printing to cover that interest expense or borrowing rather borrowing yeah. being printed by the federal reserve, right? Well, not today. What happens is we, we sell that debt to, uh, to, private holders mm-hmm. the banks or uh, other sovereigns or uh, and so it we have this we have this luxury in the united states of being the global reserve asset yeah. right the treasury and so everybody needs dollars everybody needs treasuries to protect themselves and because it's it's known as the reserve asset right so we can keep issuing debt keep issuing debt so here's where we're at we can keep doing that until there's a collapse in confidence in the US dollar. Right. Right. So, which is what you and I were talking about just before the show is that when does this, like, when does it all happen? When does it all collapse? Well, this can go on for a very long time. The US dollar is going to be the last one standing. Mm-hmm. It will swallow other currencies along the way mm-hmm. in Brett Johnson's, uh, Brent Johnson's uh, milkshake theory from Santiago Capital. Right. Right. But what will happen is um, eventually the confidence in the dollar wavers. Why? Well, we have so much debt and our our inflation is so high that people realize that if they own this this treasury, that in 10 years, it's only going to be worth a fraction of what they bought it for, right. even with the interest rate. Why? Because real real rates of return are negative. Yeah. Because if your inflation is higher than the interest rate on that bond, right. then it's a negative Negative real, negative real yield. Yeah. So you're 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 getting back dollars that are that are worth less, right? Then you can buy fewer or you know less of yeah. the the goods and services that you could otherwise. Right. The day that you bought those bonds, and so that that's where we're at. The Fed is trying to make sure that we keep our interest rate our our CPI the the inflation rate down at least in perception mm-hmm. they want people to perceive that inflation is under control mm-hmm. it's it's in check because they can't have they can't have the buyers of our bonds lose confidence in right. the currency and you lose co- confidence in the currency when it inflates too much because yes. of what i just talked about right so they play with the numbers they adjust the cpi yeah. they adjust the the way that they um 
put things in and take and, and, and replace things in and out of the basket. If they back in the eighties, um, and before that they used this, they used a, a uh, it was just a basket of goods. Mm -hmm. Right. And, um, it's just a, they use the same basket and every single year they just price that basket. Mm -hmm. And so you could see exactly what the inflation rate was, but they changed that to like an equivalent living index. Right. Mm -hmm. So now what they can do is they can take goods in and out of the basket depending on how much they're inflating or how much people are using them. Right. Well, you know, there's elasticity, right? So if, if stakes are inflating, if they're, if they're getting too expensive, well, you might, you might turn to ground beef instead, mm -hmm. which is not inflating nearly as much. Well, so the, what the, the, um, Bureau of Labor Services will do is they'll say, well, people are turning to, to ground beef in our surveys. So we're going to take steak out and put ground beef in. Well, what does that do? I mean, it's like survivor, survivorship, uh, yes. you know, right. um, uh, it's skewed to, to the survivorship of right. the goods, right? So, well, that one's too expensive. So take it out. Now your inflation rate comes down a little yeah. bit because of it. I mean, they, they, they do this, they play all kinds of games. The timing of when they, they just, they, they track the goods yeah. goes from, they, they just change it from two years to one year. So they can take bat things in and out of the basket every year now instead of every two. It's just yeah. this is like earning earnings management on Wall Street, right? You're just tweaking the tweak, accounting tweak. classification so you can get to the number you want, mm -hmm. so you can hit your EPS bonus target. Exactly. It's in the the hypocrisy of it, right? It's if the thing, the CPI, which is intended to be a metric for price changes that are most relevant to most people, the things that actually change in price they strip out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, this is totally... It's its nonsense. Yeah. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, iCoin Technology. iCoin has just released a sleek new hardware wallet. Looks like a mini iPhone, a little touchscreen and camera on it. Uh, the device has no Wi-Fi, no cellular connection, no GPS. It's a strictly physically cold hardware wallet. Uh, like I said, it's got a high-res 3-inch touchscreen. It's got a camera for air-gapping the wallet. Uh, it's got optional Bluetooth compatibility, and it's a really a, a brand new UI UX experience for a hardware wallet, making it very accessible, easy to use, not intimidating. And as we always talk about on this show, the only way you can truly own your Bitcoin is by having it in self-custody. So you need a device like iCoin Wallet to truly own your Bitcoin. Go to iCoinTechnology.com today and use promo code BITCOIN23 for 30% off of this new sleek hardware wallet. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, Ledin. Ledin lets you do more with your digital assets. For instance, Ledin offers a B2X loan product that lets you leverage your existing Bitcoin to buy even more Bitcoin. Or you can also get traditional Bitcoin collateralized US dollar loans through Ledin as well. Ledin also offers both Bitcoin and USDC-denominated savings accounts, letting you generate yield on your digital assets. Recently, Ledin has launched a Bitcoin mortgage product as well that lets you use Bitcoin to buy a home or finance one that you already own. So go to ledin.io, that's L-E-D-N.io today to sign up. It's actually infuriating. Yeah. Right? But why are they doing this? Okay. I, honestly, um, they're doing it to protect the dollar, mm -hmm. right? So, because of what we just talked about, mm -hmm. they need it, they need that inflation to stay down enough that it doesn't look like it's inflate like it's hyperinflating. Yeah, at least but the they, perception of inflation, right? The perception, yeah. But 
they need it to be high enough to inflate away the old debt. Mm-hmm. And that's where we're at right now. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the game that they're playing. Yeah. And they all know it. Yeah. It's not, this is not any, the, the, the you know, we, you and I read these things on, on Twitter, the, you know, the Fed and the Treasury, they're idiots. They're not idiots. They know what's going on. Right. It's just, they have to assume we're all idiots. It's like a controlled demolition or something. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's like we're just, we're, well, it's kind of like we're just, we know we have this incurable disease, this incurable debt disease, yeah. and we're going to draw it out for as long as we can. Right. And that's it. And hope that we can go on like this for decades, which we probably can. Then, yeah, I'm really fascinated in that because it's, it's like the broken incentives lead us into this self-deception at scale, right? That we just, that's right. We'll tweak the metrics. We'll do whatever we can. Um, I'm reminded of this kind of joke. This is totally unrelated, but <laughs> guys talking about when a guy goes out at night and he's like trying to meet a girl. Mm-hmm. He's like, he's just pushing away things all night. He's like, yeah, leave my car there. Oh, hold my keys. Yeah, we'll take a cab. Like, and then finally, when when the guy gets with a girl and gets off, like he comes to his senses and reality comes crashing back. <laughs> it's like we're doing something like that. We're just trying to pretend this is not that debt is not real, or we can just print money at into an item. Yeah, but the more you push reality back, like the harder it's going to snap. It went, and that's it. And so that's the point is that we're starting to see cracks in the system from all this, this massive debt load. Right. Yeah. So you're seeing it in Japan. They're, they're just, they're, they're, they're printing and buying all their treasuries, mm-hmm. right? They own over half their treasuries. It's just insane. The bank of Japan. Right. right. So, and then we saw it happen in the UK this past fall. All right. So Robert, when you, when, so pension funds, right? A pension fund manages the pensions of the, of the pensioners. Like, mm-hmm. so if, they, if, if an employee joins that pension fund, well, then the pension fund knows that it looks at, at its its tables and predicts how much they need to pay that person in the future when they retire, their mm-hmm. retirement income, right? So, and they know that they've got to manage the money to get to that target, mm-hmm. right? Well, how do you get to that target when you're supposed to own bonds to keep the volatility of your portfolio down mm. because it's a pension fund. You know you need this money eventually. Yeah. You can't just hold growth stocks, right. right? So you've got to keep the volatility down. Well, how do you do that? You own bonds. Well, why would you own bonds when in Germany just, what, 18 months ago, there were $15 trillion of negative yielding bonds. And that's not real yield. That's negative nominal yield. Wow. So. You're you're starving for yield in yeah. in Europe over the last number of years. Why? Because of zero interest rate policy, zero, yeah. right? Yeah. So what do you do? Well, the UK pensioners, the UK pension funds, they they just decide to turn to something called an LDI. Um, it's a leveraged debt instrument, right? So let's back up a few things. Number one, uh, der- it's a derivative. Derivatives aren't inherently bad. They can actually help you negate a lot of risk. Uh-huh. in your portfolio or in, in, in a position. For instance, I used derivatives for years, uh, billions and billions of dollars of derivatives. And we, just to define this, this is a contract on an underlying asset, right? All it is, is a contract between two parties with an intermediary. Okay. And they're overseen, um, uh, they're, they're overseen by a, um, a, a, a group, um, or a body um, called ISDA, mm-hmm. International uh, Settlement of uh, Derivatives. So, um, but what happens is we just have this legal contract, right? Mm-hmm. 
and say say I wanted to hedge out currency risk. Mm-hmm. So I own a bond that's denominated in euros, but I don't want the euro risk. Well, I could take out a derivative. I can I could do a swap, mm-hmm. and I could swap out that the the euros for dollars. Mm-hmm. And so you would have the euro risk, and I would have the dollar risk because maybe you have something in your portfolio that has a dollar risk that you don't want. Right. So we we trade that. Yeah. And so that's what we do. Like that's that's a derivative. Okay. So it, they can help you manage spread risk. risk. Yeah. 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 So okay. But what they were doing is they were using these uh, LDIs not to manage risk, but to enhance returns. Mm-hmm. The way the way they would do that is they would buy bonds and they would lever them up with these derivatives. And so instead of it, let's let's say that you um, you own a gilt and the UK gilt is the U, it's like the U.S. Treasury mm-hmm. in the UK. If you own a gilt and it's only yielding one point five percent. But you, you in your tables, you need that to be, you know, three or four and a half percent. Well, you can lever this position up two, three, four times. You lever it up four times. Well, now you're getting six percent return on an asset that's very stable. It doesn't move very much. It's, right. it, it's not volatile. It, 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 it's very, you know, it's very reliable. Yeah. Okay. Until of course you get a new finance minister who comes in and says, you know what? Uh, we're going to have a massive tax cut, biggest tax cut we've ever had, just announces this policy, right, out of nowhere. And uh, and the bond market's first reaction was, well, wait, wait, a minute, how are you going to pay for this? And he's like, well, we're not. And so immediately you go to, we're not going to change our spending habits. We're not going to have austerity mm-hmm. to pay for the tax cut. We're not going to cut back on programs. All we're going to do is print more. Right. We're going to print money. We're going to we're going to print UK uh, sterling. We're going to print the pound. All right. And so, what does the bond market do? They freak out. Why? Because of what we just talked about. Right. That's a massive. It, it's a massive, massive inflationary um, move. Right. Yes. So, and that so it impacts the UK uh, sterling, the the, the crown sterling, and the credit worthiness. Yeah. And so the bonds dropped. Like everybody just starts selling bonds. They're like, I don't want to own UK gilts, yeah. right? And so they start selling. And then the the pension funds who own these instruments, well, remember, when you when you own an L when you own a derivative, you're not putting a hundred percent down on that derivative because obviously if right. it, if you're levered four times up, well, you're putting twenty five percent down. Right. Right. So you're levered to the point where you may get a margin call. Yes. So and so this is amplifying their gains, but if it goes the other way, it's amplifying their losses. Correct. Yeah. So when the guilt started to fall, it triggered margin calls. Mm-hmm. And so as you had a margin call that automatically has the bank who ha- is managing that derivative sell the underlying that that collateral, mm-hmm. which is what? It's a guilt. Right. So they're selling guilts right. while they're getting margin call on guilts yeah. as they're and then it triggers another margin call for another pension fund. Their guilts are being sold, and it just snowballed over the course of, it, uh, of just a couple of days. Uh, the pension funds went to the went to the uh, uh, the the British um, the Bank of England. Sorry, yeah. they went to the Bank of England. And said, "Hey, look, we're uh, we're going to go insolvent here mm-hmm. this afternoon. You have to help us." And so, what, what did the uh, BOE do? They rushed in and started buying gilts to stabilize the market. Wow. And what is that? 
that's printing pound sterling and monetizing debt right and doing exactly what they were going to do anyway wow what a saga i'm i'm glad you shared that with me because i hadn't even looked at that at all but that's just a that's just one way and people don't talk about that uh-huh. but can you imagine if the uk pension funds failed i mean these are trillions and trillions of dollars i mean right. like that would that would have set off contagion across the world right and these are real people that depend on this yeah. for their livelihood past exactly. earning they, years. Yeah. They saved money. They they put money into these pensions. You know, they were they were promised this is part of their compensation yeah. package all those years, and then it just disappears. Right. It's disappearing as we talk about it. Right. It's worth less now than it was when we when I first started talking about it just a few minutes ago. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but in reality. So that LDI that uh I guess We'd call that an exotic strategy, right? Intended to shore up their returns to where they needed to be to meet these defined obligations. obligations. Exactly. So this is at root a symptom of fiat though, right? That you're you're pushing these large capital pools further out along the risk curve um, because, because of what exactly? The money's being debased, so the bond is kind of losing its credit worthiness over time. And it's it, this happens for all economic actors, but even at this level, so you push people further out along the risk curve, they start levering up. Right. That very push out further along the risk curve is going to increase volatility by the same dynamics you just described. Yeah. So then when the volatility does hit and you're levered up, you, you get you these trigger, crises. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. and and that's and that's the problem. So, you know, um, people are worried about us going into a recession, and I am concerned that we're going to go into a recession here because of what we talked about. The Fed's going to keep uh, the rates high. Mm-hmm. They're going to. Um, tackle inflation um but what they're doing is they know that they have powell's come out and said it multiple times they have they have tools to uh to shore up the economy mm. you know well what are those tools it's qe it's buying bonds it's, yeah. it's printing money it's uh you know uh, lowering interest rates loosening liquidity and so um they know that they can reinvigorate the economy right through money printing but what we can't do is if we have a spiral out of control inflation you know we go into hyperinflation you can't control that that's right. it once that starts that's a that's a wildfire that you can't stop so we understand that and that's so that's that's exactly what they're doing so what are the one of the telltale signs here i think you said so we have a 500 billion dollar gap that we're going to be oh that's okay in, so in go the, back in the us yeah yeah it was a 500 billion dollar gap i think you said that treasury would it, be selling bonds yeah, but that's that's the that's the rosy that's the optimistic picture. The reality is is that as we retire that debt, and we're going to have the same principal gets more interest on it. Exactly, yeah. and that and so they didn't they hadn't calculated that out fully right. yet. And so what we're seeing is that um, the Treasury just said they have to they have to issue nine hundred and thirty two billion dollars of bonds mm. this quarter. Mm. Wow. This quarter, right? So, what's the problem? Well, tax revenues are down, tax revenues, mm-hmm. tax collections are down. Why? Because the stock market, um, you know, stopped going straight up. And right. so the capital gains taxes are lower. Earnings for companies are lower. You know, it's just, mm-hmm. it, it, it kind of perpetuates itself, right? So that's one thing. And the other side is the debt. They're paying higher interest rate and all this debt that they're that's maturing, retiring, and then they're putting new debt on. Yep. And so... Uh, we're going to have interest payments on the debt right now is up over $900 billion. Right. So it doesn't add up and that's going to end up being 
in the trillions. So we're going to have, I, I'm, I'm estimating, we're going to have somewhere between two and $2.4 trillion of, 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 uh, um, deficit this year. Wow. Yeah. That's just this year. And so the, this is happening at the same time and perhaps for the same reasons that foreign demand for us treasuries is going down. Yeah. So that, so I guess my question is what percentage of that new treasury issuance is the fed going to have to buy? Eventually a hundred. Yeah. <laughs> Just like Japan, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's, and that's what Japan is seeing. Right. So, um, no, eventually what you do is you crowd out the balance sheets, right? Robert, you, there's only so much, there's only so many treasuries that Citibank or Citigroup mm -hmm. or JP Morgan right. or Allianz or, um, Fidelity or state street. There's only so much on the, their, about, of their balance sheet that they can own treasuries. Mm -hmm. And once, once that's all soaked up, then, then it's, it's game over. Then the Fed has to come in and print and buy their own. They have to monetize them, right? And, but I mean, then you're printing the interest payments, <laughs> correct? All right. This is stage one of hyperinflation, correct? This is as if I mean, rough analogy. If you had a hundred thousand, well, no, it's worse than that. What's the U.S. debt to GDP? Three hundred and thirty percent. One hundred thirty percent. So if you got one hundred and thirty k debt on a hundred k annual income, the interest expense. I, actually, I'm doing a bad job with this analogy, but. If you have to print money to pay just the interest to serve prior spending, which is captured in that debt, there's no will, no real way to escape that short it's, of some like miraculous innovation or huge no. explosion in tax revenue. It's a debt spiral, right? Yeah. So, and, and, uh, you're, you're essentially, you're, um, you're printing your way through it, but exactly what we were talking about at the beginning is eventually the balance sheets get crowded out. Right. There's a credit event. Maybe right. it's in the treasury market. Maybe, uh, maybe a large investment bank blows up. Credit Swiss is on the edge. Yeah. You know, that's going to produce contagion. Yeah, that there's just no way that Credit Swiss blows up completely and nobody's, everybody remains untouched. So it's just not possible. So the rock and hard place is the printing of money is necessary to keep the scheme going. Exactly. The printing of money is undermining the credit worthiness of the bond issuer. Right. And so like, it's inescapable. Yeah. I mean, you, would you think that like credit Swiss can't blow up, they'll have to save it Too somehow. To fail. Yeah. They'll have yeah. to save it. So, and this is why all this, I mean, it's all anti-capitalistic to the core. And this is what bothers me when I hear people say we're in late stage capitalism. No, we're in late stage central banking. There's no such thing as too big to fail in yeah. capitalism, right? Everything can fail. That's, That's the right. whole point. In true capitalism. Yes. Which we don't have. Which we don't have. Correct. Exactly. Um, Okay, let's talk about your informationist newsletter. Yeah, very very cool stuff. I like how I like how you structure it. You're taking these admittedly complex esoteric ideas that we talk about, and maybe a lot of people can't interpret, and you're distilling it into something understandable. So it's good. Yeah, good work. Thank you. Um, can we talk about bail-ins, like what they are? Yeah, that's exactly where we were just headed to, right? So a bail-in, but like, what happens if, uh, let's say that Credit Suisse fails? Okay. Well, there's a, so back in, back, uh, after the great financial crisis, uh, Cyprus was, was, they had massive bank problems mm -hmm. and they were failing. And, uh, and so what they did is the banks seized the, the, the depositors deposits, the, their, their customer deposits, mm -hmm. and they used those to pay off the creditors. Right. So there, there were depositors, there were customers who lost 
40, 50, 60, 70, 80% of their capital that was sitting in their bank account, wow. you know? So, and it was awful. And, uh, and actually I'd met somebody who had happened to, and it was, it was devastating for her family, you know? So, um, then flash forward, uh, the EU was kind of like, you know, this, that, that actually kind of worked, you know? So in, I think of 2018, they passed a measure that said, yeah, if, uh, if a bank fails, customer deposits can be seized. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. So put that over there. Frank Dodd legislation here in the United States after the GFC, the great financial crisis, same thing. If a bank fails, they can use customer deposits. Okay. So before everybody freaks out, there's, there is a stop gap there. Um, um somewhat of a stop gap where in the United States, your first $250,000 is protected under FDIC insurance, mm -hmm. right? So if a bank fails, um, you're, you're protected up to $250,000. Now, if you have $400,000 and the bank fails, mm -hmm. say your retirement account is in, is in this, um, uh, a small, um, investment bank and it fails and your retirement blows up. All right. Well, you're going to get $250,000 back. You're out 150. Mm -hmm. That's just reality. That's what they're. That's what they're telling you. Uh, assuming they have to use all customer deposits to pay off whatever debt they have, which is probably it, it's likely. Yeah. And in the EU, if I'm correct, um, it's a hundred thousand euros that are protected. Mm -hmm. But I encourage everybody to know exactly what it is, and uh, and what their bank is protecting them under, because some because some accounts are not protected. So you have right. to, you have to make sure it's FDIC insured. So, and it's an important thing. Yeah. And you don't want to, I mean, I guess don't ever keep more than that insurance threshold in a single account. Otherwise you're taking an unnecessary risk, right? That's correct. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So, um, and it, you know, your stocks and bonds, all that, that's not protected. Right. It's just, it's just cash that's in a FDIC insured account. Now. I've read that the FDIC is undercapitalized. So if they did have to pay out these insurance claims covering the first 250,000, would that involve money printing as well? Go burr. Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so even the dollars you get back would be- They're just inflated dollars. Diminished. Yeah. 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 Okay. Wow. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, CrowdHealth. CrowdHealth is a Bitcoin enabled alternative to legacy health insurance. Now let's face it. Legacy health insurance is an absolute scam. Nobody can explain this better than the legendary comedian, Chris Rock. Insurance. You got to have some insurance. You got to. There's an insurance. They shouldn't even call it insurance. They should just call it in case shit. And I give a company some money in case shit happens. Now, if shit don't happen, shouldn't I get my money back? So with CrowdHealth, instead of just paying premiums that you'll never see again, you can hold part of this pool of savings in dollars and in Bitcoin through CrowdHealth. And when you have a health event, you can draw against this pool of communal savings. So go to joincrowdhealth.com slash breedlove to learn more or sign up. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, Wasabi Wallet. Wasabi lets you use Bitcoin privately while still maintaining full control over your money. Specifically, Wasabi Wallet is an open source, non-custodial wallet with privacy built in by default. By using Wasabi, you're effectively putting the private back in private property. 
Wasabi Wallet is an easy-to-use privacy wallet that can support any amount of Bitcoin transactions. So go to wasabiwallet.io today to download the state-of-the-art wallet software. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, Bitcoin Conference 2023. This three-day event will be held May 18th through 20th in Miami Beach. Uh, this is going to be the biggest event of the year, as it always is. And the past two years in Miami have simply been amazing. Uh, day one's industry day. Days two and three are going to be open to general admission. And I'd say this is a great place to go and network with Bitcoiners or even look for a job. Uh, just a really all-around great experience. There's a fantastic speaker lineup including Michael Saylor, Zoltan Pozar, Lynn Alden, Alex Gladstein, many others. And last year, we did a 10 million sats giveaway for this event, and we're going to do it again this year. So to get discounted tickets and enter for a chance to win 10 million sats, go to b.tc slash conference and use code BREEDLOVE. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, Casa. Casa makes it simple to buy and secure your Bitcoin without wondering whether you're doing it right. Specifically, Casa provides a multi-key custody solution, which is by far the most secure way to custody your Bitcoin. Now, when I talk about Bitcoin being theft-proof money or inviolable private property, a multi-key custody model is exactly what I am talking about. Using multiple keys lets you maintain full control of your Bitcoin while also giving you redundancy in case you lose one of the keys. It's also the best way to secure your Bitcoin for inheritance planning purposes. So go to keys.casa, that's C-A-S-A, -A, today to sign up and use discount code BREEDLOVE. Okay, where are we, do you think, on that U.S. debt spiral path? Like, are we... Well, we, we're in it. We're not getting out of it. Yeah. Even the Treasury admits it. You can go to the Treasury. Uh, they put out this report recently. And it was a report on the 2021 fiscal situation of the Treasury, right? And the, the subtitle was an unsustainable path. Hmm. Wow. And it showed a chart of the what they expect the debt to GDP to be. And it was like, it, Robert, it looked like a hockey stick. It hmm. just went like this from where we are today. And right. it went straight up. It was, it's insane. Yeah. And they, this is the crazy part. They published this for everybody to see. They admit it. They know that this is a problem. Mm -hmm. It's not. They're not getting out of it. This is the. This is the path. This is where we're going. And I. I'm just. I'm struggling to even understand why they would put this out there mm -hmm. for everybody to see. And it's the only thing I can come to is arrogance, knowing that well, you know, we're the U.S. dollar. We ha everybody needs us, right? And so your question is, where are we in that? We're in it. Yeah. I don't know how long it takes. It could take decades. Yeah. You know, we could have a credit event and it's over in, a, in in months, but I don't think so. I think it's going to take decades. The U.S. dollar and the U.S. Treasury, they're just, they're, um, they're so integral to the way this, the, the, the way money moves around the world and right. transactions are, are occur that it, it's going to take a very long time to lose confidence. You know, I mean, anybody you talk to, um, you know, like your, your friends are, probably pretty intelligent um but anybody you talk to who even some of intelligent people they still think that the u.s dollar is is backed by gold mm -hmm. yeah which is incredible to me that people still believe that they, yeah. they believe that that fort knox and the treasury has, has enough gold to give everybody gold for every single dollar right. that's out there that's a that's a big no yeah okay 
Um, it's not. They, we stopped that in 71. The Fort Knox hasn't been audited since. Feds, who knows? Never. Never. Yeah. Right? Uh, and they also they also think that their deposits in the bank are are, are actually sitting there. So if you walk right. into the bank and you said you, you have $70,000 in the bank, you walk in and say, I need my money. They're like, we don't have your money. Right. You know, it's a loan to them. That's right. That's right. It I is always encourage to people to read that fine print. It's like it's a creditor debtor yeah. relationship. That's right. Your money. That's right. Yeah. So it's a, it's a, it's an obligation. It, it becomes a debt on their book, but an asset as well. Yeah. So it's their asset. They owe it to you. Right. But yeah, they can loan it out and put it somewhere else. Yeah. And use it for other purposes. And they have a long history of rescinding those promises in times of crisis. So would not count on it. Do you think we follow a similar pattern? Where we have these uh, liquidity crises, flight to treasury in dollars, then central bank steps in to intervene, prints the show Absolutely. dollars. So is, is it just? But it's that's like, going to um, get more extreme over time. These yeah, it's involved. like uh, it's like that it's like that sine curve, right? Where you it just where the the uh, all the peaks and valleys yeah. are exaggerating each one, and the next time we print money, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, we printed what seven trillion dollars this time, right? And it was seven hundred billion in the great financial crisis. I think it's going to be. I think it's going to be in the you know in the teens or maybe the twenties next time. It's it, it, you have to think about what we just right. talked about with the UK. It's exponential. Gil, it's exponential. Yeah. Japan. You know, if you have if you have some, you can't let these big banks fail. Like it's just there's just it's we're too integrated. The debt we're so levered. The entire world. If you look at debt to GDP in the entire world, it, it's actually Greg Foss likes to he he's done a calculation where it's closer to three and a half or four to one. Uh-huh. You know, I mean that's uh, this is global debt to GDP. Yeah, this yeah. is like all debt. You yeah. know, not just sovereign debt, but right. all debt. Like we are addicted to debt. Which now. makes no sense. How can you have three right? and a half global debt to GDP? And just keep printing. You yeah. know, we're just pushing off. We're 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 borrowing from future productivity. Yeah. It's like okay, so debt in and of itself. It's not a bad thing, mm-hmm. right? You know, if you want to go open a restaurant mm-hmm. and you, you find that plate, you find the right uh, lot or mm-hmm. you find the right uh, storefront, well, you need capital to do this. So if you don't have enough capital in your bank, you've got to borrow some, you take out a loan and you you rent or buy the real estate, you get all your equipment, you get your oven, you get your you know all your materials and you hire your employees off that loan. And you're within months making revenue. You're starting to create revenue. You're 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 creating uh, GDP, uh-huh. right? Off of that debt. Well, all you've done is pull forward that future productivity to today. So instead of having to make all that money to get the money to buy the restaurant or mm-hmm. to you know open the restaurant, you can borrow it, open it up today. And it creates jobs. It creates productivity. It's great. You know, it actually is. A, it can be a good thing, right? As long as it's used responsibly. It's commercial debt is useful. Yeah, yeah, it can be. And personal debt can be useful, right? You know, it's useful for owning, you know, chalets, <laughs> right, right, and in Jackson Hole. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, no, it can be useful if you're able to borrow at very, very low rates on and and uh, and enhance returns yourself yeah. responsibly, that can be a good thing. So the problem is this unrestricted 
capacity of the U.S. government to borrow, right? There's no, there's no due process. There's no election. There's, there's no democratic mechanism at all, right? It's just they decide how much money they need. They create a treasury, Fed prints it, or they sell it to the market, right. and it's all the all the cost is externalized on everyone via inflation. Exactly. But I mean, right now we're running up against a debt ceiling, right? Because yeah. with all that, all it is is there. The Congress decides how much treasury the treasury is allowed to spend, mm -hmm. how much debt we're allowed to have, mm -hmm. and every few like we have raised our debt limit, Robert, twenty two times since nineteen ninety seven. Mm -hmm. We're going to raise it again, yeah. but right now it, it's just a showdown between the two political parties, right? And um, and you know one is trying to get the other one to force um, force them into austerity and then they don't want to do that so they refuse and then so it, it's just like they're going back and forth so what what's what's happening well we were talking about earlier is the uh, uh, you and I before the show not to confuse your listeners um, but the CDS swap spread on yeah. US Treasury on the on the US CDS Swap spreads. Can you spiked. define that just for people to see? Yes. Yeah. So the credit default swaps. It, it, people um, have seen. It, so anybody who's seen the, the movie, uh, The Big Short, mm -hmm. or read the book, which is better, Michael Lewis. Um, the uh, the premise was they they had all these bonds that were uh, on the brink of failing, right? And they they put them all together in in a in a book of bonds, and they would and they would sell that off, you know, and uh, but then you could buy insurance against that book failing, mm -hmm. right? And so, and that insurance is called a credit default swap. Credit default swap, mm -hmm. right? right? It's the same, it's, it's just a contract. Like you said earlier. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, but here's the funny thing. It's like, uh, it's get, like getting insurance on a failure, right? So, but credit default swaps don't, they don't, they don't require you to actually own the underlying asset. So I could get insurance on your house hmm. and then if your house burnt down i could collect on that right that's kind of, that's the way that credit default right, swaps right, work right. so i don't even have to own your house right yeah. and i could just get default yeah. just get insurance on it there i mean you think through about the implications of that right yeah. but anyways what we're seeing is that the credit default swaps on them on the you're usually quoting five-year default swaps it's just, that's the the benchmark for these um but we're seeing the one year in the u.s uh sovereigns spiking right now which and indicates higher probability of default correct and now default can be a lot of things and uh it doesn't have to be you know uh refusing to pay make payments or inability to make payments or um or uh re uh like like we were just talking about before um you know changing the value of your currency right right so uh, like Lebanon did, yeah. right? Devaluing it. Th those are all th those are all defaults. Yeah. Um, you don't have to go bankrupt. You just have to miss a payment. Yes. All right. And it could be technical. Yeah. So what we're seeing here is that there, there's a showdown, and it, it's an increasing likelihood that we will miss a payment on our debt, and force the and what the Republicans are trying to force the Democrats to mess up mm -hmm. and so but the Democrats are refusing to allow the the Republicans to push them for austerity and so we could very well default the, the market is telling you that there's um you know there's like a I think I, I wrote down numbers here for well it's so 
the uh, the market is basically telling you that there's a very high likelihood that the uh, the the treasury defaults, right? So that they miss a payment, and so the credit default swaps are going up in price. Well, um, and then you've got these you've got these people who are calling for us to avoid a default by issuing a trillion dollar coin. You've hmm. heard this. Okay, so the <laughs> the US Mint <laughs> this is so stupid. <laughs> the US Mint has rules about denominations of coins. So if you if if they make coins and silver coins or or gold coins, like they're like five, ten, fifteen, twenty-five, fifty dollar denominations, and they kind of stop out, right? So, um, but there's a loophole. There's no limit on platinum. Huh. So you can print a, you can mint a platinum coin for a million, a billion. Why not a trillion dollars? So what they're, they're suggesting we do is we print a trillion dollar coin. The, the treasury tells the mint to, to mint it. Then they deposit at the fed and they borrow against that to meet their obligations because they can't borrow they can't they can't issue any more bonds they can't sell right. any more bonds so they're just going to borrow against that trillion dollar coin and if they run out they'll you know they'll they'll mint another mint one another. Wow. but until they raise the debt limit which of course they're going to yeah. but can you imagine can you imagine the rest of the world looking in on us as we print a trillion dollar coin for this nonsense right I mean, right. we're that's like literally an eyebrow hair away from Banana Republic, right? Like, what are we doing that yeah. we're even talking about this? Right. It's just insanity. But that's where we're at. <laughs> Truly unreal. Something out of a. It feels like something out of the movie Idiocracy or something. You know, where you just and it. You know, at least there's been an attempt to maybe obfuscate some of this printing money out of thin air up until this point, debt monetization, but mm -hmm. this particular idea just seems so blatantly absurd. Blatant. Yeah. Um, I yeah. wonder what effect that would have on the CD, on the credit default swaps trades. Well, so uh, if they owe the trillion dollar coin, yeah. well, it would make them go down, right? Because it would just- In the short run, but then like the longer run. The longer run, yeah, eventually it would, it would, it would, we would gravitate to a higher price yeah. for protection. I mean, and so, you're compromising the integrity of the U.S. Absolutely. dollar as global reserve currency. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. It's it's it would be damaging. What happens without a doubt if a nation defaults? And I'm sure this is dependent on which nation defaults. But mm -hmm. uh, maybe we could just say like, what happens if a non-U.S. country defaults versus what happens if the U.S. defaults? Yeah. I mean, if a, a true default, meaning they they decide they're going to write down their debt, mm -hmm. pay pay the um, the investors less for the um the principle that they have on it say they, it's called taking a haircut mm. um that's one way that it would happen um and uh or just stop making the interest payments or make fewer interest payments something something along the, mm. along those lines they they have a material change in the obligation right mm. well that's a default that's a real default okay not a technical one where they they true you up in a couple of weeks once mm. they get through the congressional nonsense yeah. Okay, so what happens? Well, think about it. If you default on those bonds and then you pay those back, well, how are you going to issue more bonds? Hmm. If you are, they're going to be a very high interest rate. Right. Who's going to buy those from you? Yeah. And trust that you're not going to do it again. You're right. not going to devalue their their investment overnight. 
So it becomes a, a problem where you cannot borrow in your own in, in your own currency anymore. Right. So, and we've seen that happen in in a number of Latin American countries that they're borrowing on the U.S. dollar. They they have to borrow in U.S. dollar denominated debt because they can't have their own currency dominated debt. Right. right. And so, um, yeah, so it's devastating for a country. It makes it very difficult yeah. to operate. You can't print money. You can't print your. You can't. You can't operate with the big boys at the table. Yeah. And and monetize your own own uh, debt in perpetuity. So in that way, the U.S. will maybe never default because we would just hyperinflate the currency before we would default on U.S. dollar denominated debt. It, why would you default on your debt if you could print and monetize right. it? You wouldn't. If you're a fee, if you're a sovereign fiat that has debt denominated in your own fiat, mm-hmm. you know why would you? You don't have. You just print money and buy your own debt. This is what Japan is doing. So do you think this culminates in the hyperinflation of the U.S. dollar? You know, it's hard to say. I think that if you just think through it logically, it yeah, mm-hmm. there's no other way. Right. But is it going to happen tomorrow? No. no. It happened in 20 years, maybe 50 years, more likely 100 years, definitely. Yeah. Wow. 100%. Wow. Um and what should people be thinking about? <laughs> I wonder what, is there anything out there that you can think of? Is there anything that you can think of uh, that is not inflationary? Yeah. And hard to tax, easy to hide, easy to conceal, easy to move. That's right. Yeah. So, and gold has a lot of those properties. Yeah. It does. And but like, uh, you can't, it's not easy to transport. Mm-hmm. Um, it's confiscatable. Right. You know? Um, so, yeah, we're laughing, but. There's there's nothing nothing that compares to Bitcoin. Nothing. It's right. not even close. Nothing compares to Bitcoin for holding your value and saving in it. You think in that world, Bitcoin and gold operate. Uh, the world I'm referring to is post U.S. dollar hyperinflation. Mm-hmm. Bitcoin and gold exist side by side. Like I, clearly, you're speculating here. No one's going to hold clearly, you to this. Like yeah. what what do you think that world looks like? I, in the world that I envision, I, yeah, I think that gold will. Uh, will be uh will operate side by side for a little while but eventually bitcoin swallows it all mm-hmm. um i just don't see the the, the properties and what will happen is uh, in in my this is purely my opinion mm-hmm. what what happens is uh there's just enough confidence in bitcoin mm-hmm. and there's an ease of using it the wallets are easy yeah. the exchange the lightning network whatever the transactions are easy they're fast um I think once we get to the point where you have enough users of it, then yeah. gold just falls away. And I think I still I still think it has its value. Sure, you know, and gold will be the thing that people hold in case something happens to Bitcoin. Right. right. So yeah, interesting. So it really is like it's a confidence game, right? It's this confidence game right now that the Fed and U.S. government are trying to maintain. Right. Yeah. We need some inflation to externalize the, the debt, but not too much inflation to compromise future creditworthiness or expectations and it's that psychological confidence game that we're lacking in bitcoin right now right like people still think they view it as this upstart speculative digital asset not as a secure economic bedrock but over time as one comp as one confidence game fails perhaps more confidence uh floats over to bitcoin it's it's exactly what i believe yeah i believe that will happen and it's going to take time it will take some time, yeah. uh, but that's okay. 
we have we have time. I'm not I'm I'm not you know expecting this to happen overnight. Um, yeah. Long 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 term um, confidence in this protocol. So that's the only way. Yeah, and that it gives us hope though. Yeah, that's exactly what you just said. I mean, like, what if we didn't have Bitcoin? Let's ask that question. Oh, it's a dark dark world. Like, think thing. about that. Yeah, I mean, gold. You'd have people hoarding just gold. Gold and they're, failed. They're, and they're and gold failed. Yeah. There's so much paper in gold. It's very yeah. difficult to to trust that yeah. as a store of value. Right? Yeah. So yeah. and and central banks have they have incentive to keep that away from being a store of value. Yeah. They want you to have to keep your money in their currencies, not in something else. Yes. So Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thank God for Bitcoin. Thank God for Bitcoin. <laughs> James, man, I appreciate you doing this. Um, where can people find you on the internet? Yeah, awesome. I I, I had a great time. Uh, always talk like talking to you, Robert. Likewise, um, so uh, I'm on Twitter, just at James Lavish on Twitter. And uh, yeah, if you're interested in the informationist, it, it, there's a link to the Substack right there. Uh, it's a it's a weekly uh, publication, and just like you said, I take one complicated concept and break it down simply for everybody to get anybody, whether you're a doctor or a teacher or a fireman, you may or may not have any knowledge of, of finance because our, our schools just don't give it to us. Um, that's right. So um, that's there. And then yeah, if you want information about the the Bitcoin Opportunity Fund, that's just the Bitcoin Opportunity dot fund. Uh, and that link is also in my bio. So awesome to be there. I right, appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah.